0: Good morning, family. It's really good to see you here this morning. My name is John, if we've not met, and I serve as one of the pastors of our church family. My particular responsibility is to serve as our lead uh, teaching or preaching pastor, but you wouldn't know that based on the last six or seven weeks. I don't don't really remember actually the date of the last Sunday that I spoke. It's been a minute, uh, but that was by design. At the beginning of the year, we sat down and we uh, came up with a plan so that our executive pastor, John Simberger, Would have the opportunity to develop an entire sermon series from a from a full-length book and as you know we just finished that series in uh, the book of jonah prior to that he's always had the opportunity to speak here or to speak there and we really wanted to gift him the opportunity of a sustained series and have to do the work of developing that from uh, from a book for himself what we found out was we thought we were giving him a gift but he gave us a gift he just did a phenomenal job pointing us to Jesus and the beauty of the gospel uh, through the narrative of Jonah. I would like the opportunity to affirm him publicly, but he's not here today. He is preaching at a GTO partner church, a Gospel to Okinawa partner church, deep in the heart of Naha, which he can do because he's non-SOFA, um, as am I. I am non-SOFA, so not only do John and I enjoy Naha, but we really enjoy dining in together with regularity. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. Um, so we look forward to you guys being able to dine in with us as well. Kind of, it really cuts down the wait time that you guys can't you can't be there. So obviously, I say that in jest mostly. Obviously, you can't affirm him in person today, but a number of you did speak to me and just tell me how encouraged you were by the work that he'd done in Jonah. Um, so if you would, if that was one of you, if you'd be willing to uh, seek him out either in person or you could email him. Uh, he is John at pillarokinawa.com. Real easy. Uh, Just email him and just encourage him for the hard work that he did in the book of Jonah. I think we were all encouraged by that. Now, this morning, we resume the sermon series, which was disrupted originally by COVID all the way back in, in March. We were then, we were two weeks into a sermon series entitled Gospel Formed, which was taking us through the book of 1 Corinthians. So the sermon you'll hear today was originally scheduled to be preached on march 22nd how's that um like i said we were two sermons in if this week you would like to get caught up it's just two sermons um, they're all on they're both online so you can get caught up there i was not scheduled to preach on march 22nd and so just like that sermon was not mine to to give then it's not mine to give today so my six weeks will turn into seven uh, or so we had given this sermon to a member of our church uh, who is a seminary student and in need of the learning opportunity, something that we like to do as a church family from time to time. And um, you know, I wanna encourage you, normally when we think about being present for a sermon, we think about what we're going to receive, right? And that's right too. We know somebody's gonna open the Bible and speak to us from God's word, so we're postured to receive. And I want, I, we need to maintain that posture. Uh, But I I want to invite you to adopt another posture, and that is listening with the intent of affirming the hard work of another person. And and so what I mean by that, we just, we all heard, we we heard the text read, right? That's a fairly complicated passage or some, some stuff in there that's unclear. So let's listen to affirm any work that this person has done to make what's unclear clear, to help explain it, to help apply it, and ultimately to point us to Jesus. Let's encourage him in that. So the member of our church family who will be preaching for us this morning is David Bunn. He's been a member of our family since April of 2018. Uh, Most of you won't recognize him um, simply because on most Sundays he's in the back with that motley crew of guys uh, making the magic happen on the board. So you you may not recognize him. David is from the South. Um, God's grace reaches everywhere, guys. I mean, it's global. So he's from the South. He was born just outside of Metro Atlanta. spent probably much of his uh, childhood in south carolina Uh, we had coffee this week and he told me that he made the best move of his life by marrying blair in may of 2018 and um, i mean for all those of us who know david we we agree david you did indeed marry up when you married blair Uh, there's no doubt about that Uh, and i'm not putting any words in his mouth in david's own words over coffee this week he said warmly and enthusiastically that blair is definitely the better of the two of us so i know i already told you that blair but your husband speaks well of you not only publicly but in private as well he loves you very much david is currently a student at erskine theological seminary and um david we're excited to give you this opportunity today not only so that you can learn and grow uh, but we know we're going to learn and grow as well so come on up i'll pray for you and you can you can take us to work Father, we thank you for David, we thank you for the work that he's done to prepare to point us to Jesus in this text. Father, I pray that you would, by your grace and through your spirit, give him freedom of thought and speech as he communicates, that he would communicate for us what you would have communicated from your word, and that we would, we would see Christ, that we would be encouraged in our faith, that we would look away from ourselves and look to the, the good news, the beauty of the gospel. And Father, I do pray that this would continue to be a good learning experience for David, that on the flip side, we as his family will be able to, having listened with the intent of affirming the work that he's done, we'll be able to encourage him with with the work that he did, to point us to Jesus and to explain the text and to apply it, to help us apply it uh, by your grace and through the Spirit. And So we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Morning. Uh, I made sure it's actually on this time. The first service, bless their hearts, was listening to me talk without the mic actually being on. <laughs> so, well, just to start this off, you know, these days when we think about, it, everyone's giving advice in some form. You know, whether it's your social media feed, you know, the, some news outlet, whatever, there is advice everywhere. There's a WikiHow with five steps for how to do everything. It seems. You know, often we are told the right way to get something done. This tried and true approach. You know, some three easy steps to success or something like that. It all sounds right, like in so many ways, we have figured out how to live successfully in developed co- countries. You know, the West has got it figured out. But is this advice right? Do we really have the answer to every troublesome question? Now, in November of 2018, John Allen Chow, you may have heard of him, he decided to take the gospel to what's called the most isolated tribe in the entire world, living on North Sentinel Island off the coast of India. A tribe would throw spears at helicopters just for flying nearby. Not that the helicopters actually got downed by it, but still. India had declared going there off-limits because it was functional suicide. They will kill you if you go there. That's just the way they've been working for decades. Yet, John went. He was convinced that sharing the gospel was more worthwhile than living if it came to that. Sadly, within two days, his body was found riddled with arrows on a beach, unburied. He had his doubts, In what would be his last letter, he explained why he was going to a people who had made it clear in the past they would kill to be left alone. Confessing in the middle, I don't want to die. That's a very human reaction. That's that's our native way we think. Like, why would why would I go into a literally deadly situation if I can avoid it? But really it was something different. The very next sentence in the letter asks, Who will take my place if I do? He sounds crazy, like he missed the memo on living a prosperous life, you know, this American dream. Like, What are you doing, man? Many people at the time said he was delusional, that he threw his his life away pointlessly. Even some Christians said that his gospel further could have been put somewhere else. It was wasted on this tribe that's just unreachable. Why would you bother? On the one hand, we see a world that proclaims humanity has the answers to every problem. But on the other hand, we see a drive, especially in John here, to share the gospel that truly is the answer to the root problem all of humanity shares, sin against a holy God. Now, as both this passage that was just read for us and the story and reaction to John Chow illustrate, the world's wisdom acts like it has all the answers, but only the power of God's wisdom can make sense of him and his creation. Like we saw back in March, in chapter one, Paul contrasts what the Corinthians expected to get with what he actually brought, applying it to what he had done in their midst. Like, you were witnesses of the fact that something went differently. Now, the Greeks valued that there's eloquence, wise sayings, philosophy. We say it's the cradle of philosophy in Greece, right? A persuasive argument was the way to do things. You had an entire group of people called the sophists who, whether or not their point was right, they would get paid for how awesome they sounded arguing it. Like, that was their entire thing, is I want to get paid for the best speech ever. Now, it was the, the skill to have in the ancient work world of rhetoric, but we still value that. I mean, we talk about eloquence, you know, politicians, actors, CEOs, we all expect them to say the right words. We have speech writing as an industry, you know, read, read off the teleprompter, we already figured out all the words for you. you know, we all like wise sayings, there's people talk about quotables or there's a sound bite you can see on TV, or there's a slogan, you know, marketing exists for a reason. And if we talk about philosophy, the entire self-help industry, which I'm sure has had plenty of fun this year, now, a few years ago, it was $9 billion. I'm sure it's worth more right the second. You know, do these simple steps, and you will get success, happiness, joy, whatever. And even persuasive argument, whoever sounds best, obviously they're the ones who, who won the argument, duh. You know, facts are kind of irrelevant to a lot of people. You now It's easy to say, oh, yeah, the world uh, over there, they, they're a little bit off, off track, we got it. But the church does the exact same thing. When we talk about persuasive argument, you know, Or eloquence, it's like, how good was the preaching? There are preachers that everybody just talks about, oh, they preach so great, I love listening to this preacher. They're more interested in the preacher than they are about what the preacher is preaching. How refined is that speech? How elegant did they lay out all these points? Did they alliterate? That kind of thing. And there's even some wise sayings we have. Has anybody ever heard the Bible said it, I believe it, that settles it? It it sounds nice and, and pithy, but it's really simplistic. Or even that's the gospel truth. I'm from the South, as y'all all all know. Uh, A lot of people say that for stuff that has nothing to do with the gospel. And even philosophy. We have theological systems out there that are more obsessed with, we've figured out the right way to do things, so all those people over there are heretics. Other Christians. We do this all the time. Or even persuasive argument. We cajole people into coming to Christ, make a decision, even manipulate their emotions to make them feel into a position without really getting to the root problem of, you are a sinner in need of grace. Now, but are any of these things what Paul uses in this passage? He, sp- he straight up says, I did not come with persuasive words of, li- of wisdom. He didn't come with those. Instead, he brought Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, the previous chapter, especially in verses 18 and 23, say the cross is a stumbling block to Jews, Gentiles, when you think about it, our savior died. Most people don't brag about somebody who died. That's not considered victory, but it really is. He wasn't really physically imposing while doing this. You can say something's completely out there, but if you're scary enough or confident enough, people will follow with you. But verse 3, he says, I came in weakness and in fear and much trembling. All the words behind that pretty much picture a guy who's just like, okay, I need to tell you this, but terrified right now, but you need to hear this, whether or not I really feel comfortable with it. It's what you need to hear. That's how he came. By the world's definitions of weapons to wield, Paul brought nothing. He's pretty much showing up empty-handed, just giving words that don't even make sense according to every worldview that they know. But he did bring the gospel, and that was the only thing needed to bring forth the mighty power of the Holy Spirit. See that in verse 4. But why did he only bring that? Why does he make such a point of saying that's all I brought? Paul was very eloquent. One read through Romans, this man knows how to talk about things. But it's tempting to say he contradicted what he's saying. It's like, what do you mean rhetoric is is bad or wisdom's bad? But rhetoric's just a tool in the toolbox for Paul. It's not the thing that he uses for its own sake. The philosophers of the day would argue the wrong point in the most eloquent way and be like, yeah, I'm awesome. Paul's like, I am giving you the truth in the most cogent way I can, but I know it's not a comfortable truth or a truth that makes sense to you at first. Now, he goes further than that, and he says at the end of it, not just what I came with you, came to bring you, but what you keep. I don't want it to rest in the wisdom of men. I want it to be faith in the w- you know, in only in the power of God, not in, oh yeah, I figured this stuff out. Of course it makes sense. Don't, obviously. Now, the people at the time loved believing they had figured something out that the guy next to him hadn't. Now, we call this intellectual elitism. Uh, you might have heard of the Gnostics or secret knowledge, that kind of thing. The idea, that I got one up over the next guy. Now, but we aren't really any different. If we think about it, we think that the past still hasn't figured things out anywhere near as much. You know, we as modern men figured everything out. You know, those ancients did have a clue. You, you see that all the time. It's, they, and we, need to believe that it was not how well-crafted Paul's message was, or the supreme rightness of what Paul preached, but the very power of God that had brought them to salvation. It's not just, how did I sound? It's, what did I say? What is the content that I am giving you? So, after talking about his approach to preaching the gospel with them, now Paul pulls back to a wider view, and, and a Ironically, a more philosophical view from the specific situation of what they saw to a general concept. And it says this in verse 6. What you want, I didn't bring, really. You wanted plausible wisdom. What you need is so much better than that. Now, if we get down to it, there's two different definitions of wisdom that are going to be throughout this passage. One is human wisdom. It's rhetorically intricate. It's reasonable. It just sounds right. Second is God's wisdom. It's eternal wisdom hidden and supreme over anything humanity can give. Now, we natively like the first kind of wisdom. It's what we'd figure out. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. But that isn't a mature and wise perspective on anything considering the cross. Now, for the Corinthians, I'm going to quote from a commentary here, the net result and the irony is that they are spiritual yet unspiritual. They are pursuing wisdom yet missing the very wisdom of God. Like they want the good-sounding stuff, not the actual good stuff. And we do the same, if we get down to it. But Paul is presenting something better on a level that beggars the imagination. Now, why is that? Let's look at verse 7. God's wisdom is in a mystery, has been hidden, and it was planned that way. So Colossians 1.26 says, "...the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints." And Galatians 4, 4 says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Now it's always been that way. It's only at a certain moment did God reveal what was necessary for salvation. Yeah. And the crazy thing is, and the very end of verse 7 is for our glory. Wait, for our glory? Yes, it's us to brag on God for this sort of thing. Now, in comparison. None of the rulers understood this, and this is still true in verse 8. Recall that first form of wisdom? The rulers, the thought leaders, the eggheads, they did not understand what God had done in Christ, despite all their qualifications. The Pharisees had all the law figured out, and yet they considered Jesus to be a rank heretic. Now, Instead, God's wisdom showed them to be fools. They did exactly what God had always planned, thinking they were getting rid of a foolish pest. This is put forth clearly in John 11. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die over the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children who are scattered abroad. And it's kind of mind-blowing that Caiaphas is significantly more prophetic than he ever thought he would be while still missing the point. All right. Yes, one man did die for the nation. He also died for the entire world. That's you know, how much does the rulers of this world or this wisdom miss the point. And that's the wisdom we should not cling to as Christians. We have been given something better. Let's look at verse 9. Uh, it says, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, this is actually a three-tier approach to considering knowledge. No eye is your direct sensory perception. What have you yourself seen? No ear is things you've heard from the community, your friends, your family, what have they told you? And, of course, the imagination is what can you think of intuitively, but all of those things, that's all knowledge you could possibly gain, none of that could prepare you for what God has prepared for those who love him. All right. There's everything we can figure out, and then there's a clean break, and suddenly we're at what God's actually prepared. Now, this is the wisdom of Christ crucified, something we couldn't fathom in the least sense revealed to us. Well, why is that? Because, the Christian, we love God. Well, why, do, why do we do that? Because he first loved us. Romans 5.8 says that clearly because he then poured his love into us through the Holy Spirit. And that's three verses earlier in Romans 5.5. 5. Now, how is that done? That's the main point of verse 10. You know, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Now, the Spirit searches everything, even the deep things. The Greek there is bathos, which, if you're familiar with deep sea exploration, if you're trying to go down there, you use a bathysphere. So if you're trying to explore the Marianas Trench, that's the level of depth being thought of here. It just keeps going down. That is how deep into God's wisdom the Spirit understands things. Now, Because the Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, he knows inherently the deep things of God because he is God. That's verse 11's argument is no human can read anyone else's mind, unless you have telepathy, I don't know. But only realistically you know your inner thoughts, not even your spouse. They might seem to read your mind ever so often, but they don't really. <laughs> The same is true for God, though. No one else knows his mind. You can't right here just be like, I know exactly what God's thinking. That's extremely presumptuous. Only he can, and that is the Spirit of God. Yet God, through that Spirit, through him, has revealed to us his deepest thoughts, his mysterious wisdom, and his grand plan of redemption. All these things. What a gift is that? We've already been given. We see what the most wise, as they call themselves, this world cannot, They're just unable to. We hear the good news that is for all people, it falls on deaf ears so much. I'm sure many of you in this room know friends and family that, you know, no matter, think you're an idiot for believing in the gospel. Why are you even bothering with church? That's just a bunch of silliness, and it, it pains us in a lot of ways because we know what the truth really is. You know, we're given images of this bright and perfect future where God dwells with man. Now, Revelation 21, 3 says this beautifully. Behold, the dwelling of pla- place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. All right, I get shivers thinking about that. But there's there's some that they just get terror thinking about such a thing. But that is a beautiful comfort that we have. Now, Paul concludes this overall argument by continuing to contrast this world's wisdom and God's wisdom given through the Holy Spirit. Let's look at verse 12. Now, what is given as a gift is not the spirit of this world, but the spirit from God. Why? Well, So that we may know the things that are freely given to us to, by God. The spirit allows us to understand just how much we've really been given. Now, because of that, we're able to understand what we already have and even will continue to receive. Because God's mercies aren't just for today, they're for forever. Since these are of a fundamentally different nature to the spirit of the world, human wisdom is insufficient. Worse, it leads us away from God. Because um, so when you think about it, not taught by human wisdom, the only way to go the right way is in spiritual wisdom, to get that spiritual, that spiritual truth to spiritual people. So if you're using human wisdom, you're already using the wrong tool. And we are spiritual in the simple sense that we are un- indwelt by the spirit, a lot of people who make way too much of a big deal over the word spiritual use to be spiritual enough. That's not what's being talked about here. We're all spiritual as Christians. The solutions offered by this world, by human wisdom, are not useful to us. In a lot of cases, this will just give you the wrong way to go. Now, this doesn't mean that the Bible and the Spirit can offer a step-by-step tutorial on how to do open-heart surgery. I do not suggest trying to do that. <laughs> this isn't what's is being considered here by human wisdom. Really, it's a matter of focus. Human wisdom is all about what I can do to make my mark on the world. I'm the master commander, my fate, able to do whatever I so feel like. It's all about me, how I can boast over other people. And sadly, this is precisely what the natural man wants. In verse 14, they don't want wisdom given by the Spirit. Just like the cross, the things the Spirit offers are foolishness, folly. Even if they weren't, he is not able to understand them because he lacks the Spirit. They can't make sense, not that he doesn't want them to make sense, they can't be. In contrast to that natural man, we are to cherish and to learn from what the Spirit reveals. We've been gifted the ability to judge all things. Now, in the context, this means to judge all things rightly in light of what truth is. The truth that God, that is God as revealed in the Son, who proclaimed himself that he is the way, the truth, and the life, in John fourteen six. Now, in a real and profound sense, we really can't fully understand. We get it. You know, when we get down to it, we understand the deep mysteries of God, the fulfilled prophecies of the entire Old Testament. There were hundreds that Jesus had to fulfill to be considered the Messiah. The grand tapestry of redemptive history stretching from creation to today, even beyond that. And finally, the glory still to come at the end of days. All these things, we may only know a small amount of them, uh, each, each is different and all that, but we've been given the ability to understand what it means. This isn't just a bunch of facts or fictions or what have you. And know that that makes sense in the most perfect, beautiful way. This is the gift the Holy Spirit gives. But by the same token, the world does not get us. If they don't understand the wisdom that we do, if they find what we believe foolish, of course they'll f- fail to understand how we act. They're on a different basis. Now, how much do people insist the Bible's fairy tales and myths? I'm sure you all have seen that plenty of times, you know, on a Facebook page or on some other bit of social media. Now, how often are we told we're backwards in our thinking and we need to progress with the rest of society? Now, well, Let's look back at John Chow. What, what did the world say at the time? Now, consider these quotes from the comment section of a New York Times article. These are actually some of the editor's choice comments. So these are at the top of the entire comment section. It is my hope that the world can see Mr. Chow's folly for what it was and leave them be. It seems immensely angry, arrogant to think that my beliefs are the only true ones, so everyone should believe what I believe for their own good. Missionary training only furthers what real missionaries do to unwittingly, with good intentions, bring degradation to an established indigenous culture. You know, in their words, he was a fool, unwittingly hurting other people, even extremely arrogant, thinking Christ is the only way. You know, what an idiot. An intolerant bigot, as, as a lot of people would actually say. Now while we ourselves may not be called specifically to die for the gospel, as John did, only to be laughed at afterwards, you know, the world, with all of its wisdom, genuinely thinks it's stupid. You know, because the world crucified the Lord of glory, because they hated Jesus Christ and put him to death, it will hate us as well. You know, this was promised to us by Jesus himself and, and a brass tax moment. You know, John 15, 18-19, straight, straight says, they hated me, they will hate you. Well, there's no getting around that. But there is comfort offered in the last part of verse 15. Now, the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. Now, why is there no one to judge us? Because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's Romans 8-1. No matter what the world says or does, when all is said and done, we have already been judged righteous on account of what Jesus has done. Now, considering this, the final verse of this passage is almost like a taunt against the presumed wisdom of this world. God has already made the right judgments, already succeeded in providing the one and only way to reconcile sinners to himself, already been proven victorious. In comparison to that, who on this planet can really tell God what to do? That's arrogant and at least and without the help of the Spirit, no one can understand the supreme truth of the gospel. What could we possibly give to God that he did not already provide to us? Yet here still, in this, at the very end of here, is another comfort of the Christian. We have the mind of Christ. Now, With the full context of this passage, it's actually a Trinitarian statement. We have the mind of Christ, just as we have the Spirit of God who knows the deep things of God, just as God the Father sent the Spirit into those he has chosen. Thus, we know the mind of the Lord, Yahweh himself. It's not that we're on the outside, so to speak. We've already been brought inside to the, to the thoughts and mind of God himself. What a marvelous privilege that is. Again, we get it, but only because it was given. In comparison, as was posed to the Corinthians in the first century, why would we want the wisdom of the world? if we really get down to it. Now, this passage does highlight a tension that we cannot get away from, this world and with their wisdom and God's world with his wisdom, yet it shows us how we are living, how are we to live knowing that. First, we're going to need to have a twofold dissatisfaction. There's a negative statement here. On the one hand, find the wisdom in this world fundamentally lacking. The best advice in the world might match up to what God has revealed in his world, in his word, more often it falls much shorter than that. As John mentioned back in March, it's been a while, Uh, people like Jordan Peterson, Joe Rogan, they often make really good points, but relying on them for the source of your wisdom is the wrong way to go. They will lead you in the wrong direction, whether they mean to or not. On the other hand, desire to understand more and more of God's wisdom as revealed by the Spirit. Now, this is a lifelong pursuit sought through studying scripture, prayer, an active engagement in a church family, as many of you already do. Now, there, these are simple to say. They seem really simple, I just said in a sentence. Doing them on a regular basis is a challenge. It's only possible through relying on Christ, at the Word, our Lord and King, because we always wanna go back to that natural wisdom, the way things naturally work out. We need to be reminded over and over again. Why do we go through the catechism? Because these simple truths are things that we need to hear, Now, second, expect hatred and mockery from those who do think the world has the answers. Today, those who reject the gospel are more and more outspoken about how wrong we are. I said bigot earlier, how many times has that been tossed around, or you're just intolerant or something like that. Again, if we tried to put up with the world, in a sense, in our own strength, we'd crumble. We'd be a wreck in three days at most. But we are not to do this Instead, we are to rely on the power of God, as Paul said that he did when he came to Corinth in the first place. He didn't come there with any sort of human strength. He came with the power of God and the Spirit. Now, consider how, according to some, meeting together as a church is a dangerous and unnecessary risk. Yet, we are all here. Knowing that the risks involved are far outweighed by what we lose when we cannot fellowship with one another. The body of Christ needs to come together together to grow. Third, we need to be cautious of the tendency to pride in knowing more than other people, Now, understanding what they don't. We can't be going into the secret knowledge world of, oh, I know more than that person, so obviously they're less than us. We do naturally and sinfully tend toward pride. Some commentators have have even taken the word mature in verse 6 to be proof there are two classes of Christians. There's the spiritually mature ones and then there's these immature babies who haven't figured it out yet. Now, this is antithetical not only to the passage, but to our calling as fellow members of Christ's body, the church. It is one body. There is not a multi-class system in the body of Christ. It is one. Rather, let's be grateful for what we we have that has been hidden from the world. They're over here not seeing it yet. It seems obvious to us, but we did not figure it out on our own. And secondly, let's be humble there. Knowledge puffs up. Scripture says it multiple times. It causes us to brag on ourselves and how, much, how smart we are and how we got it all figured out. But we need to brag on the Lord, not on ourselves. Now, many in the world today say they possess wisdom. The ultimate answer is the right approach to life. Some claim the wisdom, if you can call it that, that all wisdom is valid in some way or another. So saying anything is wrong is itself foolish. Stop being intolerant. An increasing number is say that Christianity is an outmoded delusion that belongs in a dumpster. But God is the only one who possesses wisdom, a kind that surpasses our ability to understand unless enabled by the Holy Spirit. It leads us to very different conclusions than the world. Some of these conclusions cause mockery, others hate, still others violence even. Now the reaction to John Charles' mis- missionary zeal shows that starkly. How hateful were those words, in a sense. So even as the world insists that it knows what's going on, that it is the arbiter of truth, let us hold fast to the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. It is God alone who has wisdom, and he has given it to us as one gift among many. May we be grateful, may we be humble, and may we constantly seek to see his ways more and more. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time to come together to realize just how much we have been given, that it's a a precious gift that we could never repay, that you have given us a faith that has come in power to sustain us through your spirit as as he reveals more and more what we already know in our hearts is true. In Jesus' name, amen.